I uh, was thinking back in preparation for this uh, new series that we're starting here this morning of over the, the years, God's really placed a burden on my heart. Some people, I feel like he really lays it on for just a burden for interacting and talking with people about Jesus Christ and getting a chance for at least people to hear the good news of the gospel message. And I remember some years back, all the way back in, in college, I started going with teams to, uh, and I was thinking the progression over the years, going with teams to downtown Cincinnati, and we'd go into this kind of open area where everybody hung out on Saturday nights, and we'd just look to start conversations with folks, sharing about Jesus Christ, engaging with them, taking homeless people out to eat. It was a fantastic experience. Then there it kind of progressed when I went on staff at at Willow Creek. We took teams over to a community college in the area. My wife and I, actually, that's where we met as interns there, and uh, sharing with Christ on these campuses and hearing all kinds of of different questions. Then at next phase was I was on staff at another church and we'd take teams to this, what was called the Streets of Woodfield. And those of you that aren't from Chicago, that doesn't make any sense, but Woodfield Mall was this really huge mall in that area. And they'd have a big hangout area. We'd go just engaging with people there. Then another community college at the next church I was a part of. And, and now here in Rabbit Valley, there's not a shortage of questions that I've, uh, that I've heard over the years uh, uh, just a lot of times, though, if I'm honest, a lot of the questions you're like, yeah, that's just kind of a smoke screen because you don't really want to get to the point of talking about Jesus. A lot of times people bring up things like the location of Noah's Ark and how old the earth is, and you're like, come on, let's, let's just talk about Jesus Christ and how he can influence your life. And, but I remember one uh, particular time talking to a gentleman, and he had a question, and it wasn't the first time I've heard it before. But the question that he asked, and maybe you've been asked this as well, don't really think it's a, a smokescreen question, really believe it's a legitimate question. His question was, how can you follow a God you can't see? How can you follow a God you can't see? Maybe you've been asked that before and really wrestled through like, well, how do you respond to that? That is a, that is a tricky question. And really, the, the hope of this series that we're diving into with eyewitness, I am a witness, is not just to a God that I can't see, but a God that I can know personally, a God that I have seen, that I am witness to in my life. Let me explain a little background on this, and I'm grateful for a message I heard from Kenton Bishore just on a similar topic, and he pointed out the fact that it all started back with Adam and Eve, if you think about it, after they broke and severed the relationship with God, there had to be a rebuilding of sorts, and really it was a, a, a phase that went over hundreds of years where God reintroduced himself to his people. If you think about it, in the, the book of Exodus with Moses, when he came to Moses, he described, remember at the burning bush, what was the title that he gave himself for Moses to know him by? What was the two words? I am. That was the, the name that he gave. And you're, I, I've always thought that was an interesting uh, title to give for God to give himself. I am. You fill in the blank. I, I'm everything. I'm it. It's a pretty, pretty cool title. Another in that same text in Exodus 3, 15 he describes himself not just as I am, but he describes, goes a step for, further in revelation of himself and describes him as the Lord or Yahweh. We might be familiar with that term. It's actually used 6,800 times in the Old Testament to describe God is Yahweh. So all the way then, if you think, progress a little bit forward in Exodus 19, what, uh, the, the fact that in his 
Uh, that's where, where God meets Moses and uh, gives the ten, begins giving the Ten Commandments. And you remember that interaction was more about seeing his power through earthquake and, and, and the world earth trembling and the wind and just the power was seen. So they, they, he got to see not just a name, but got to see a, a glimpse of his glory through his power. But still, even at that point, it's a name but not a face. A name but not a face. And if you think about in the Ten Commandments, what was the second commandment? Not to make any image to try to portray what that face looks like. The Ten Commandments, that was the second commandment saying, listen, don't even attempt what, when I choose to show myself, when I choose to show you my face, it'll be on my timing, God's saying, not on your timing and your efforts and most likely a failed attempt to expose him. So this progression of revelation was over hundreds of years, and for the longest time, they knew him by name. They might have known him by his amazing deeds, but they didn't know him by face. And that leads up to the present point of this series, and we're heading, is that God in his kindness didn't leave us in that place. He chose to finally reveal himself if you think about it we titled it the curtain pull the curtain is pulled back this morning the curtain is finally pulled back and god doesn't just have a name but he said he's saying listen i want to show you myself i want to show i want to reveal the expanse of my greatness to you colossians 1 15 we will see it on the screen there says this he is the image of the invisible god what had been invisible up until this point Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jump to verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, the cross that we celebrated this morning. The description there says that he's the image of the invisible God. I remember for years and years talking to, I had the same, I don't know if you've had this before, I had the same insurance agent that I talked to regularly for house insurance, car insurance, just a, a many years of just talking to this person on the phone. And it was interesting when I finally had a, a, a chance to, to meet that person, what at the end of it what, what do you usually say when you finally get to meet somebody? Oh, it's nice to put a, attach a face to the name, attach a face to the name. That's what Jesus Christ is. That's who Jesus Christ is. He's attaching the face, the face to the name. To expand on that, he says in Hebrews, they say in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, he says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Listen to this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Cool, huh? 
Isn't that a fantastic verse? That's the picture of who we're talking about. For generations and generations, it was just a name that they had to know. Maybe they saw his fantastic deeds, his power, but now when God, when God in the flesh came and dwelt with us, it's finally, there's a face attached to the name. It's fun to watch the progression of technology. I don't know if any of you are the people that feel like you have to have the newest gadgets. Anybody want to confess to that? Like, yes. I was in line for the new iPhone. Yes, it's not me really. But, uh, but some of us loved it, loved gadgets, loved the progression of technology, loved to see how things change. I was recently watching a, a, a video of the new, one of the newest technologies. I don't know if you guys have seen this before. The 3D printers. Have you guys seen 3D printers? I think your son has one. Pretty, pretty neat idea. It takes the image that you create on the screen and it makes it with plastic and whatever, it makes the exact replica of what you've created on the screen. It's a pretty cool technology, what they're able to do now, uh, just kind of skipping a lot of steps in the process. And so I was thinking about it, I was thinking, you know what, that's, that's what Jesus Christ was. He was the exact, what does it say there in Hebrews? It says the exact imprint of his nature, the exact. So if we're wondering, if you're being asked that question, well, how do you how do you know a, a God that you can't see? How do you, how do you get to know that God? Guess what? You can see him through the exact imprint of his nature in Jesus Christ. It's an awesome truth. It's an awesome part of the gospel message that he's not a distant God just known by name and maybe some earthquakes and, and waters and seas parted. He's a God that came down and personally allowed us to know him and see what he, how he interacts and lives on this earth. So if you think about that as a backdrop, it only makes sense that we would really take effort to get to know him through the accounts of his life, right? The, the gospels in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John should be ones that we should be like just completely familiar with. And so our hope is in this series is to start to do that, to get to know God more intimately by knowing his son, by knowing Jesus Christ, by studying that. So over the next extended season, we're going to be going through each chapter in the book of Mark. And how we, I've chosen to do this is uh, what, it's going to be a little bit of uh, participation as a church. So I'm not just going to go every verse by verse in each chapter. I'm going to pick a, a section to hone in on. We're going to go through all 16 chapters. But each week, this week, we're going to be going through the first 11 verses. But the hope is, is that you guys crack this book yourself that you choose to follow along with us to go through each chapter. This first week, we're going to be in chapter one. So what chapter would we be in next week? This is, this is simple math. There you go. Nice job, guys. Uh, chapter two. And so in advance, in preparation, man, I would love to see God work in each one of you and you showing up and being like, man, I already dug into chapter two. I'm on top of it. And then in our life groups, we're going to be uh, just as united in this effort. We're going to be going through each chapter. We're going to have provide, you can even see them on the back of your notes there, some discussion questions that you're going to be going through in your life groups together and just doing a, a universal commitment to getting to know God better by getting to know the exact representation of him through Jesus Christ by the study of Mark. So we're going to be doing that in the weeks to come. I'm excited about that. I wanted to give you a little bit of backdrop on the book of Mark. As I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what? 
The book of, of Matthew gets a lot of attention. We, get, we spend a lot of time in the book of, of John. Sometimes I feel like the, the book of Mark gets kind of left behind, you know? And so I was like, you know what? How many of you have spent extended studies in the book of Mark? Usually more so John. All right, you guys don't count. Uh, but but, but the, the majority of us have not spent a lot of time in the book of Mark, and so I thought that would be a wonderful way for us to get to know him a little bit better. A little background on uh, Mark, known as John Mark, the author of the book, uh, he didn't, uh, you might not know this, but he didn't know Jesus personally. So John Mark was the cousin, it was the cousin of Barnabas, and uh, the, what, what most believe and what all the evidence points to is that he was a close disciple or follower of Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, and the descriptions given in the book of Mark all point to uh, most likely an explanation or, or he being the writer of Peter's remembrance of Jesus Christ. So, so John Mark uh, was cousin of Barnabas. If you remember, maybe a not-so-glorious part of John Mark's life was on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. Do you remember what happened there? A particular person bailed out and went back to Jerusalem, headed home. That was John Mark. That was one of the less uh, glamorous parts of, of his life. Uh, that caused a big friction, if you remember, between Paul and Barnabas, where they ended up parting ways, but then God used that in an awesome way to then spread the gospel even further. And then they were later reconciled, but this is the account that, that John Mark gave of Jesus' life, most likely because of his close and intimate relationship with Peter. Are you tracking with me? who is one of Jesus' best friends. So that's the explanation of the author and the style in which this book is written. It's kind of like a, if you watch a documentary, anybody enjoy the History Channel and seeing some different documentaries? It's not always a progression from start to finish through somebody's life. It's more of a, 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 a capturing the different units. If you think of, of different crowd scenes, small group scenes, private one-on-one -on -one interactions. This is what the, the book of Mark is. So not necessarily chronological, but kind of a collection, if you will, a mosaic of the life of Christ. So that's the little backdrop on that. The book starts different than two of the other books. It starts not with the account of Jesus' birth, but it starts, and you can start turning there now with me. We're in Mark 1. It starts with the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. The beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and that's first introduction. And I think of this first section, and the reason I titled it, uh, The Curtain is Pulled Back, is because I, kinda, I, I think this section kind of reads, if you will, kind of like the beginning or the opening of a, of a Broadway play, like the grandiose start of an amazing story. So I've broken this down kind of somewhat like that. In the first section, I've entitled The Anticipation Builds. Take a look in Mark 1.1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. If you think about it, we're, as a, as a people, we're pretty easily excited. I don't know if you really stop and think about it very often. It's sporting events, how easily excited we are. If you think about it, how just 
passionate we get when we see a man run with a, a ball across a line into an end zone. You're like, if you really stop and think about that, or any sport for that matter, kicking a ball into a net, putting a ball through a hoop, we get pretty passionate and pretty excited about things. It's part of our, our nature. I don't know where that came from in us, but we get, we're pretty easily, if we're honest with ourselves, we're pretty easily excited. I remember my, my son Chase, when he was a little bit younger, we we're getting closer to Christmas, and they start planting ideas of, of Christmas gifts in your mind. And I remember him coming to me and he's saying, he's talking about this new Mario game. I don't know if any of you did a season of Mario uh, Brothers games with your children, but he had this game that he really wanted. And I was like, well, Chase, tell me about it. Like, what, what should I look for? What's it, what's it called? And he, he didn't have a lot of details. He said to me, I remember I jotted it down. I said, I've never seen it. I don't know what it looks like, but I really want it. And I was like, I was like, what in the world? Like, you, you've never seen it. You don't know what it looks like, but you're so excited about this. Like, you can see the glow in his face as, as he talked about it. I was thinking about that. That's a great description of what the, the people, what the Israelites were like. They, they had never seen this Messiah that was to come. They had never experienced it. They weren't ex exactly sure what he was going to be like, but they couldn't wait for him to get there. They couldn't wait for him to get there. They were so excited for him to arrive. And as things progressively got worse for Jewish people, you can imagine the anticipation built even more because he was the one that was going to finally set them free, was going to release them from the captivity that they had experienced. So Mark, as he starts by introducing who they'd been waiting for for a long time, look what he says in verse 1 there. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of God. Nobody reading this at that point would have wondered who he was talking about, who he was talking about. The description, the Son of God was talking about the Messiah that each one of them had been putting their hope in. He's saying, this is a description of the Son of God whom you've been waiting for. You see, the deity of Jesus Christ is critical to our faith. It's a non-negotiable thing. It's something that, that we can't waver on. In fact, Jesus himself in John 8, 24, listen to these words, why it's so critical, says this, unless you believe that I am he, referring to the Son of God, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. You see, if Jesus wasn't God, then he wasn't qualified to cover our sins. Romans 3.23 says what? It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If all have sinned, if he's not, if he's not God in the flesh, if he's not God in the flesh, then he just falls in that same umbrella like the rest of us. Does that make sense? Under the all category. The all have sinned, and so he wouldn't be qualified to pay for our sins. Every major world religion acknowledges his existence, but denies his deity. If you think about it, Mormons, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, Hindus, Buddhists, they all acknowledge that he lived, but they're very slow to acknowledge who he is. Remember, the exact imprint, the exact representation, the God in the flesh. If you think about it, each religion should find Jesus' words in John 8.24 very concerning when he says, unless you believe that I am he, unless you believe I am he, 
you will die in your sins. That's the, the dangerous place of not acknowledging that who Jesus Christ was, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. So in Mark's intro here, he starts right out of the gate pointing out that fact. And he also points out, listen, this is, this is the person that we've been talking about for hundreds of years. They would have all respected Isaiah in the, and would be very familiar with the prophecies that he had made. And he's saying not just Jesus fulfilled the prophecies, but all around him. If you think about it, all these pieces had to come together perfectly. John the Baptist was even, even an outsider apart from Christ, was living out perfectly the words, prepare the way that the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. In that time period, it was kind of a, a neat thing. In ancient days, a king would have what was called a forerunner that made sure that the path was clear. And then would, so he'd go out before the king and make sure that it's a safe path for him to take. And then he would announce to the towns and villages that, hey, the king is coming. The king is coming. It's kind of a, a cool uh, routine, just act, probably more so an act of safety for the king arriving. So making sure the path was clear, the path was straight, and then announcing the king. And that's what John the Baptist is. That's the role that he plays in this text. Take a look in verse 4 as it continues to describe this. I titled this one, Everyone Assume Position. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him or being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Let's pause there for a second. Yeah, I, I know you've heard this before and different pastors have pointed this out. I still think it's a neat picture of listening to the description of him clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. You picture the, this character showing up on the scene probably quite a sight to see with the, 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 the fur on. I don't know what, I've never seen somebody wear a, a camel outfit, but that would be interesting to see with a nice leather belt, probably a little bit of a locust and honey left in his beard, maybe some from, from earlier lunch. Like this guy was, was a sight to see. I don't know if you end up watching some of these different Hollywood uh, d different Hollywood award shows. They've digressed quite a bit over the years. I haven't seen one in a, quite a while. But I remember some years back, they had a, a host by the name of Jack Black. Does anybody know who Jack Black was? And for some reason, when I think of John the Baptist, I can't get the picture of Jack Black out of my head. This picture of just kind of a dynamic, just kind of crazy, you're not really sure what he's going to do next kind of a character. And so, and so in this same scene, as a, as a forerunner of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist is showing up, he's dressed all crazy, he's got locusts in his beard, and, and he's there and he's saying, man, come and repent, come and repent. And you're like, Wait a second, why was this guy even necessary in this story? Why was this guy, why was a character like that? It's, it's not just like a Hollywood awards show. Like, that doesn't make sense. Why was this character necessary in the introduction of Jesus Christ? If you think about it, if you think about what even today is necessary prior to someone coming to a, a, a knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ, there needs to be a, a, some a appropriate position that happens behind the scenes. 
God starts doing a work, and you see what happens with the people that he's calling them to. What does it say that they're doing? They show up out in the wilderness confessing their sins, confessing their sins. You see, prior to being ready to to meet Jesus Christ, there has to be a work that happens behind the scenes in our heart. If you think even today, there's a similar project, what's the right word? There's a similar progression where somebody comes to the point where they recognize, I'm fallen. I messed up. I've fallen short of God's perfect standard. There needs to be that place of repentance, that place of acknowledging sin. And so that's what was happening as the forerunner was showing up. He was showing up and people were getting right, getting their hearts right, confessing sin. We see that often around us, that this appropriate uh, position before getting in the right place before we come is really one of being on our knees. Humbly coming before God and saying, man, God, I desperately need you. I can't fix me. We often see around us in the world around us, God has to do that exact same thing in people's lives today. That he needs to bring them to a place of humility. He needs to bring them to their, your knees. And maybe if you're here this morning, you're wondering why it feels like your world is crashing and you keep running into walls. Maybe that's exactly what God's doing in your life. He's bringing you to that place where you're like, I can't do this. I need you. I'm desperate for you. And so John was, was making sure that everyone was assuming the right position, that they're in the right spot where they could be ready to meet their Savior. So look as, as it continues in verse 7, as he actually begins to describe the hero. It says, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I love the humility that John shows just in those words and that interaction right there. He was drawing, if you think about it, like he's drawing some pretty big crowds. What did it say in the, the previous verse in verse 5? It says that all of Jerusalem and all of the country of Judea, everybody was coming out. When, when they use words like all, you're like, that's got to be a lot of people. You know, that's a, that's a, a huge crowd. It would have been pretty easy for John seeing everybody showing up to say, Hey, maybe the, maybe it's my it's maybe it's my style, my look, my swag. Maybe maybe they're coming out to see me. He could have bought into the same lie that we're easily sucked into that it's all about me and absorbed the glory for himself. It's so easy if you think about it in church world how easy it is for a pastor to get off track and start to think like, "Hey, this is all about me." But here, John appropriately responds to that. He appropriately responds to that. What does he say about it? He says, listen, it's, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. This was a, this was a job that was left for a, the, the lowest of servants. If you think about it back in that time, they didn't have paved roads. They had dirt roads. And somebody at the end of a day, after all being grimy and gross, the last thing they'd want to do is to undo their sandals and clean their feet. And so that was left for a servant. So the master would show up and the servant would get down on his knees and uh, untie the sandals and, and kind of pull the grime off or whatever that would have looked like in that day and age. But here's, here's John the Baptist with an appropriate perspective of God. And here's the truth of it, is John wasn't just any ordinary guy. In fact, in Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus says this about John the Baptist. He says, truly I say to you, 
among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty cool description. Wouldn't that be a, a nice descriptor to have of, of yourself? This is John the Baptist was what Jesus described as the greatest of all men ever born. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good thing to put on the resume, right? Like that, you, you wouldn't mind writing that down. But here is the greatest of all men ever created. And he's saying, listen, I'm not even worthy of taking the sandals off Jesus' feet. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's an awesome, uh, awesome perspective of who Jesus Christ is. So what does this tell you about Jesus Christ? If, if, if the greatest man thinks this, how should I see him? What should be my perspective of Jesus Christ? How should I describe Jesus? Truth is, many people are held captive by their false picture of God. I like this description by Ken Bishore. He says this, that you can't outrun the beauty of your view of God or the ugliness of your view of God. That, that was cool. And the truth is, is your view of God shapes you and Jesus helps you with an accurate view of God. When you understand, as we talked about at the beginning, when you have an accurate view of Jesus, you begin to form an accurate view of God. And John had the awesome view. He's like, listen, this guy is, this guy is great, man. I can't even, I can't even, I can't even do his, undo his sandals. Like, that's crazy. That's the description because he's the exact imprint of God. So he's setting the stage, and I think of all of this as kind of the getting ready as the curtain's about to be drawn, like this is all the preparation. If you, you think about it, the anticipation has been building for, for literally hundreds of years. They've been waiting for this Messiah to finally attach a, a face to the, to the name. They've been waiting for this. They're they've, they've starting to get their hearts ready. They've got the forerunner of John the Baptist out in the wilderness saying, hey guys, he's coming. Get your hearts right. And now... Finally, in verse 9, we're going to be finally introduced to the king. Take a look in verse 9. It says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. It's awesome. The great reveal was finally happening. Up until now, Jesus had just been living amongst them for 30 years, just living with the people, just as an ordinary carpenter and, and just doing life, experiencing things. That's why we're, we're able to cling like, man, we have a high priest that can relate with us. He did life for 30 years, but everything's about to change. And I love the description there. Like this was a dramatic event. If you can picture that, if you picture the, the heaven, it says, what does it say? That the heavens were torn open. The heavens were torn open. The word torn shows that it was a pretty dramatic event. One of the things I, I miss in the, living in the Midwest is uh, rain, this, this thing that comes down uh, from the sky. But I, I remember the, 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 in the Midwest, you'd have these huge lightning storms. I don't know if any of you have spent any time outside of California and experienced rain, but, uh, but they'd have these huge, these huge thunderstorms, and you'd see, you'd look out the window, and you'd see the bright light flashing and the 
huge thunderstorm, like the thunder's cracking. I don't know if you've had that experience, but it is something to behold, especially you get a really good one on a summer night, and you know the, the whole light's just, the whole night is just being lit up by, the, by, these, by these cracks of thunder, and the lightning that's coming down is just a pretty awesome experience. And I think about this, and I think about what that must have been like, where Jesus is being baptized. He comes out of the water, he's lifted up, and then the sky just rips open. Like that, I'm guessing that that probably wasn't a little deal. Anybody else think that was probably a, a pretty big deal if they're using the word torn? And then what it, sa- it says, it says that the spirit descended on him like a dove. A lot of times in our uh, pictures, you actually have a dove coming down. And I'm like, it doesn't say that it was a dove. It just says it was like it. So I, I, I'm just picturing kind of a fluttering. I don't know what that would have looked like. But again, sky being torn open, something crazy coming down like a dove, like I don't know if you've seen a dove land, pretty awesome. And then what's the next aspect of what was happening? A voice from heaven. It says a voice came from heaven. Now here's interpretation by voting. How many of you think it was like a little meek voice? Do you think it was like a little mouse voice saying, hey guys, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Anybody think it sounded like that? Okay, how many of you think it was a little bit more like a thunder crack? Like, this is my son. Like, maybe that's bad. But, uh, but you get the idea. Like, this was probably a pretty powerful voice coming down from heaven saying, listen, this isn't just any ordinary dude. This, this, this is the almighty God. This is, this is God in the flesh. This is my son with whom I am well pleased probably a pretty powerful experience for everybody that witnessed this, anybody that would have seen this. In the book of John, it talks later about John describing this. He's saying, listen, I saw the the heavens open. I saw this, like I experienced this. Probably a pretty powerful event. So this is the introduction of our great king finally attaching a face to the name. And my hope and my prayer is through the study of this book, we're going to not just see the introduction of Jesus Christ, we're going to get to know what was he like? How did he interact with people? How did he respond to life situations? We can become a witness of Jesus Christ ourselves. We can say, listen, I know him. I've seen him. It's a pretty awesome potential as we unpack this book together. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for this grandiose intro that you gave of your son. It really sets the stage for who he is. And when scripture describes him as an exact imprint of you, that should cause us to take notice. That should cause us to get serious about diving in and and studying what your life was like. God, I pray that you'd give us the, the fortitude and the discipline, God, over the weeks to come to really get serious about knowing you better, not being content with where we're at right now, God, but wanting to strive to to know Almighty God, to be a witness of Him, finally a face attached to the name. We praise you for this opportunity, God. Pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you wouldn't mind just grabbing your seat for one second, I just wanted to take a, a minute before we dismiss just to Give a special thanks, and Carolyn, you can start coming up here uh, now. 
And uh, one of the things that's been a huge privilege in my life over the last year and a half of working here is just getting a chance to spend time with Carolyn. She's been here on staff for the last seven years investing in our kids. And she doesn't like me using the word retirement because uh, she still is committed to being around the church and being involved. And so she's just going to be uh, building into our kids for free now, which is great. And so, uh, <laughs> and so we're, we're so thankful. Yeah, go ahead. Let's say thank you to Carolyn. I know, I know she, uh, she doesn't necessarily like being up front, but I think someday there's going to be a, a room full of people just talking and sharing stories about, you know what, my relationship with Jesus Christ started because of this woman that was so faithful at Agora Bible Fellowship, and her name was Carolyn Brookman. I think that's a, a, the best legacy that somebody could leave, is pointing people to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're th so thankful for that part of your life, and I'm just thankful for you as a friend, too, and so I'm going to miss having you around as in the office, and so we got something for you from this store called Brighton that we wanted to pass on to you, and, and I didn't pick it out, which is probably a good thing. So we're going to have a chance right after the service to, to come and give uh, Carolyn a hug. We have a little lunch reception, so if you had lunch plans, cancel them. We're going to have a little barbecue, a chance to hang out in the student ministry room outside, some food there, and a chance to say uh, thanks to her and seeing this next season of life we're really looking forward to. Let me pray for Carolyn just as we conclude. Dear Lord, we're just so thankful for Carolyn and just what a gift she's been to our community, this church, to the children of our church. I can't think of somebody that, that loves kids the way that Carolyn does. So grateful for her. Just I pray as this next season of ministry unfolds that you just make it crystal clear how you want her to to use her days, to use her hours, to continue uh, using her gifts for your glory. We praise you and thank you for the gift that Carolyn's been to this church. Pray this all in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. You're dismissed.